to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. How's everybody doing tonight? Good? Good. All right, let's get going. Take your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter, let's start in Matthew 25 tonight. Father, I thank you for your word again. I thank you for what you're instilling on the end of each and every one of us. Thank you for your Holy Ghost, and we thank you for the opportunity to learn more and more about your word and about you. We give you the praise for all that you're going to do in our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 25. Look at verse 33. Jesus is speaking. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on the right, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the what? World. Now notice this is talking about the end times and what happens at the very end. Now when I was growing up, I was taught that when this would take place, he'd have the sheep and the goats, and he'd point to the sheep, and he'd say, you're going to heaven, goats, you're going to hell, and basically that was it. But notice it doesn't even mention heaven or hell here. Basically what it mentions is your inheritance, and your inheritance is you will inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. So when you inherit a kingdom or you inherit a country, you get all the inheritance that that country has. So we found out that we're kingdom citizens, and being kingdom citizens, everything that that kingdom has for us belongs to us. We've studied and found out that healing belongs to us. It is a right. As soon as you're born in the kingdom of God, it is one of the privileges that were given to you to walk in health every single day of your life. So here it talks about our inheritance, and our inheritance is the entire kingdom of God. All right, go to 3 John chapter two, or verse 2, where we've been quite a few times. Mm -hmm. All right, 3 John chapter 2, look at verse 2. We've been there before. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Once again, it's talking about your soul. Your soul, once again, is your mind. It is your will. It is your emotions. It is your imaginations. So your health and prosperity, even your health does not, does not pertain to your physical body. It pertains to your soul. In other words, a lot of times when you get treated at the doctor, you get treated for your physical body, and that's okay. But notice, God says you treat sickness, disease, with your soul and whether your soul's prospering or not prospering, basically. So here he deals with something above the natural. He deals with your mind, will, and emotions. Now, how many know you think with your soul? You think with your mind. So this tells you what you think about situations and circumstances, what you think about your inheritance, what you think about God said will make a difference in your life. That's why we, the Bible tells us you need to cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge or the word of God. Why do we do that? Because we want to get rid of the old way of thinking and we want to take on the new way of thinking, which is the way that God thinks. Notice, cast down every, say every. I mean, no, that's every one. Every thought and imagination. So when you have thoughts coming in your mouth or your mind, oh, I'm weak, oh, I'm getting sick, oh, I'm just down today, oh, I'm just a loser. All these thoughts got to be cast out of your mind and replaced with the word of God because none of them are from God. They're from the enemy or from the way that you were brought up. So basically, we need to call it, cast down every thought. Say every thought. All right, go to Proverbs chapter 23. All right, Proverbs chapter 23, look at verse 7. It says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Notice again, as a man does what? Thinks. thinks. Now, where do we think? We think in our mind, don't we? So as we think in our heart, so is he. 
So this is telling you whatever you're thinking is what you will become. The Lord spoke to me one time on this verse. You can write this down. I wrote it down because it meant a lot to me. The Lord said, you are the way you are because you believe that's the way you are. You are the way you are because you believe that's the way you are. Once again, you are the way you are because you believe that's the way that you are. So as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if I think I'm sickly, how many of you know that I'm going to live a life where I am sickly? I mean, you know, if you think I'm poor and never going to have any money, I'm going to end up living a life of poverty and not having any money. But if I think I'm healed, then I will live healed. If I think I'm rich over a period of time, I will end up being rich. And you know, it takes worry out of you because if you really believe that you're rich, there's no sense to worry. If you really be, believe you're healed, there's no sense to panic. Are you finding me? And, and all this is part of our inheritance, and it comes to us. So as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever you think and whatever you see yourself as, that's what you will sooner or later become. After the new birth, your soul must be renewed to God's word and to the word of God. And how do we do that? Last week we found out in Proverbs chapter 4 that we attend to the word. We inclined our ear to the word. We will see the word. We will keep the word in our heart, and we will receive basically what we see after that. That's why, that's why you get visions sometimes on the inside of you. Basically, God pl has planted visions on the inside of you to help you along to get to the spot where you need to get to with the call that's on your life. In other words, if you're called to preach, all at once you'll start seeing yourself preaching. You may not even want to preach. You don't care if you preach. But always you start seeing yourself preaching. Maybe you go to bed that night and you preach before several thousand people. And you wake up and say, my God, that had to be from the devil. Because I'm not preaching in front of all those people, that's for sure. But what there is, there's visions. A lot of times what we thought we were going to do and were excited about when we were young, we pushed to the side because we didn't think we could do it. And that was what God wanted us to do. But we thought we had to do it in our own ability. So since we thought we had to do it in our ability, we pushed it aside because we thought we couldn't do it. But those things when we were kids were basically God's way of slowly stepping us along. I'll tell you, he does this even before you're born again. He does this your whole life. You were created for something. So you start seeing things. You start doing things. You start, and the more you walk in it, the, the brighter the picture gets. I mean, if I, if I was a painter and I started painting a picture and I just started on it and you walked up behind it, you'd say, what are you doing? How come you got yellow there? How come orange there? Well, because I see the big picture and you're coming along in the middle of me drawing it, and you have no idea what I'm drawing, so you can't understand what I'm doing. It's the same way with God. He gives us sort of the big picture, and then step by step paints the picture for us in here, in our imagination, so we change our thought lives. Yes, he wants us to be rich, but he has trouble getting people changing their mind off the natural into the supernatural where he says, I'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. All we see is our bank account with $3 in and in debt and rent and everything else. And then we talk and think like that and we, we don't enable him to do what he wants to do in our life. And it's the same way with healing. You've got to be able to see yourself as a healed person. Not just when you feel good, but because the word of God says. Because when the attack comes, you're going to take sides one way or the other. You're either going to say, oh, my God, I'm getting sick again, or you're going to say, no, I am a healed person, praise God, and I don't do that. We do it with sin, don't we? Somebody walks up to me and wants me to drink a 12-pack of beer. I don't have any problem. I don't do that anymore. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. That's over with. I'm somebody different. So it's no problem for me to push that off to the side. Well, it's the same way with health. When you know that you're healed from head to toe because of what God did on the cross, then when even the temptation comes, you won't have any trouble fighting it because you know who you are and what belongs to you. But there's a switch that takes place here in that knowing on the inside. It's just not something you read and say, oh, yeah, healed by the stripes of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And then once you get sick the next day because basically you don't know how to stand against what's coming against you. So basically, once again, what's it dealing with? It's dealing with our thought life. As a man or woman thinks in their heart, so will they be or so as they are. All right, go to Luke chapter 4. very difficult if you hang around with people who believe that they're losers a lot they're going to brush that loser mentality on you sooner or later that grumbling is like a flow it'll jump on you and pretty soon you'll be complaining about your finances about the way they things are gone for you and so you've got to be careful who you're running around with and who you're spending time with that doesn't mean we got to be a monk 
you know, and go into prison someplace, lock all the doors and hide so nobody can get to us. You're going to run into people every day, but some of them you should choose to spend more time with. Some of them you should choose to spend a lot less time with if they're dumping on you day in and day out because it hits you. How many know words paint pictures? So when people are talking about words, you see them, you know. You can close your eyes right now. I can say big dog and big black dog, and the more I put to it, the more you can see the dog, even though you never saw the dog, you can see the dog because of what I'm telling you. What's the same with other? Well, we're all losers, and God really don't like any of us, and, you know, I don't know. He wants to heal one. Maybe you don't want to heal anybody. All that stuff still being programmed in your computer, and you don't want to be putting that stuff in from any place else, praise God. At all. You want to put the Word of God in what the Word says. All right, Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, and he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogue of Galilee. All right, here's Jesus. He was getting results. He just healed a whole bunch of people. He rebuked the devil of fever, and it left somebody. And basically, of course, how many know everybody wanted him to stay? When those things are going on, they want to have revival right there. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, I have to go because I must preach. Say, I must preach. Notice, I must preach the kingdom of God. So he was called to heal. He was called to deliver. He was called to cast out. But notice his main call was to preach the word of God. He never said, I must heal. He never said, I must cast out. He never said, I must rebuke. He said, I must preach. And how many know the Bible says he actually was the word that was preached? The Bible said he was the word that came in the flesh. So he not only was the word, but he did exactly what the word said it would do. So Jesus here knew the importance of the preached word. We talked a little about last week about how important the word is to you and to your walking in health. The church has lost sight in some places about teaching and preaching the word of God. They would rather get together and just have a nice little meeting with everybody. And then when people get sick or down and out, they want a treatment rather than the word of God. The Word of God needs to go in. You need to start putting the Word of God in right now. It seems like when tragedy hits, boy, then we really get serious, don't we? It's like break glass, get that Bible out out of the emergency case and start doing something with it. But this is a way of life if you want to walk in divine health and you want to walk in the things of God. You listen to preaching. Tapes have been a blessing for me. I still listen to cassette tapes. Still got them, still got cassette players. When they were gone out, I ordered about six of them. So I got about four up in the closet yet because they don't last very long and they fall apart. Well, I've got tapes that I want to listen to over and over and over again on healing and on the anointing and on the power of God because that stuff, when it's preached to me, for some reason goes in better than me just picking up the Bible and reading it. I mean, you know, sometimes it's hard to read the Bible. So when you're listening to tapes, it opens up some of the Bible that you've had trouble getting opened up to, and it'll make you see things that you would not see if you were just trying to get them the other one. Now, chapter 5, let's go to chapter 5, look at verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Now, this is a group of people here apparently must be hungry for the word of God. Notice they pressed upon him. In other words, they were pressing in the place. They wanted to get in there. They wanted to hear the word of God. Now, let's just pertain that to the church in this day and hour. We got church on Sunday. We got church on Wednesday. That's it. Just two little nights, one for an hour and one for 45 minutes that we preach. It's hard to get people even consistently to those things. What if we had teaching every night? I mean, one night you'd have two people there. One night you'd have three. The press for the word, people don't understand the value of the word of God and what it does to your life. And everybody now wants instant results. They want to go through the drive-through and get it right away. And it don't work that way. The Bible says the kingdom of God is if you plant a seed in the ground, sleep and get up, sleep and get up, sleep and get up, and it slowly grows, first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. But everybody wants instant results. It doesn't happen that way. You have to keep planting the Word of God in you to get the results you need when you need them. See? Oh, I'd, I'd sure like to eat some corn on the ear, ear on the corn, corn ear. I love that stuff. I love it during the summertime. Well, when July comes, is not the time to plant. Right. You've got to plant before that if you're going to eat. I mean, we know that in the natural, don't we? Oh, i got to plant first because when July comes, boy, we're going to be selling them by the dozen and making some money. Well, if you don't do it and don't plant it and just because you get hungry, not once you're going to try to find an ear of corn, it's not going to work. It's the same way in, in the spirit realm. We just keep eating. We keep putting the word in there. We keep studying the word. We keep doing it. Why? Because it tells you your rights that you have as a kingdom citizen. Prosperity is a right. Healing is a right. Peace is a right. Joy is a right. 
All these things are rights in the kingdom of God. And you, if you know they're your rights, you'll start fighting to protect. Guard your heart with all diligence. Because out of it flows the issues of life. What kind of life? God life on the inside of you. So it's once again, you've got to be committed to the word of God if you're going to get or live in any kind of thing in the kingdom of God. And it's something that's just got to be there. And I know sometimes it's tough, but then sometimes it's not so tough. So when it's not so tough, double up for the times when it's tough. Praise God. All right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 18. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. How many of you are saved? Yes. It is the power of God. So here the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. They don't understand why Jesus went to the cross. They can't figure it out. And the church for a long time thought the preaching of the cross was for those who are perishing. But here it says the preaching of the cross goes beyond the new birth, into a total salvation for you because it was more than just a ticket to heaven that Jesus provided for us on the cross. He provided the power of God to receive everything. At the cross, healing was provided and it was settled. At the cross, our victory was provided, it was settled. At the cross, sin was defeated. At the cross, deliverance was provided. At the cross, Satan and demons were defeated finally for good. At the cross, it's more than just being saved and going to heaven. The whole church concentrates on going to heaven. Are you going to heaven? Good. Well, then just go through hell down here for 50 years, and you'll finally get there sometime. We even have songs. I mean, you know, when you look at the old movies where the slaves were there, all they did because they were in such bad shape was sing about heaven. Oh, the day's coming. Oh, it's coming. They didn't understand that they could come up out of that mentality and live in victory even now as a slave and break out of it, but they were just waiting on heaven. There's many Christians saying, oh, when we all get together and go to heaven, that'll be the day. But what about now? I want something that's going to work for me today. I want something that I can go through the rotten stuff right now. But the church don't look at it that way. They promote heaven. But notice, the kingdom of God is different. It'll tell you that you can live in victory 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because the cross here is the power of God. Say, the power of God. Power of God. Hallelujah. Okay, to Matthew chapter 8. All right, Matthew chapter 8, look at verse 16. Let's look at sickness and disease now. Verse 16 says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed all that were what? All right, now he's talking about sick here. He's talking about sick people here. He's talking about people he healed. And notice what their problem was. What was their problem? Here it says they were possessed with demons. In other words, sickness and disease was caused because of demonic activity in their life that caused them to be sick. Why are people sick? Because here they were possessed with devil or under the works of the devil. And he cast out the spirits and healed them that were sick. And how did he do that? With what? What was his weapon? The word. Praise God for the word. The word of God. For these people to be free and live free, Jesus had to do something about the devil. He had to cast out out the devil. How many know when the devil goes, things usually get better for someone? Praise God. So here he's talking about sickness and disease. He said he healed them all, and these people basically were demon, had a demonic problem of sickness and disease. All right, go to Acts chapter 10. This will help you also if you look at sickness and disease as something demonic. Sickness disease is almost accepted now in the world and almost, I mean, glorified in some situations, basically. What's the matter with you? Oh, I got bursitis and suicidus and mositis and ositis, and I'm getting them all treated, and I'm doing better now. And, you know, no, it's a demonic attack against your physical body that doesn't have to be there that if you stand against it and you'll understand that you're already healed. It's an accepted thing. We go to the doctor, and they treat us. They treat us physically, and there's nothing wrong with that. How many know that's good? It's better to be treated by a doctor and live than die. There's no question about it. But basically, when we get our soul lined up, it'll be a, a, the Word of God will be able to 
penetrate through our soul into our physical body and change our physical body in every single area of our life. All right, Acts chapter 10, look at verse 38. This is Jesus again talking about him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all that were what? All that were what? Oppressed, oppressed of who? The Not God. They were these people who they healed were oppressed of who? The devil. The devil. And he, because he had God with him, basically, is why he did it with the power of God. So Jesus, all that were not had a cold, not had the flu, not sick. But here it says, these people were oppressed by the? So Jesus saw all sickness as demonic oppression on their lives. He treated sickness like he'd treat the devil. He rebuked sickness and disease. He rebuked the fever just like he'd rebuke the devil. I mean, he called sin lying, murder, and works of the devil, basically. He called people who that day, they were of their father, the devil, because they were liars. How many know that got a big applause, probably? Hey, he called unbelief satanic. He looked at Peter when Peter was in unbelief and said, get behind me, Satan. Satan. See, he always saw the real enemy. He never mentioned anything else about, oh, you've got this or you've got that. He saw everything as an attack of the enemy, and basically he knew something that would work would be the anointing and the word of God that he used in his life. The word of God basically is the, I don't know, it's like, a, like the, the, the gun. You got the anointing on the inside of you. You look at somebody and say, be healed. And that's like pulling the trigger. And the anointing on the inside of you backs up the word. The anointing's here only to back up the word of God that needs to pertain to your life. That's why you have the anointing. In other words, the anointing of God is there to heal you because basically healing belongs to you. But you can't say, I'm sick, I'm sick, and I don't feel good. How many know that's not pulling the trigger? Even though your gun's full of the spirit of God on the inside of you and the power of God, the trigger has to be pulled in order for the power and the bullet to come out. And in order to do that, you have to be in agreement with God in order to do that. So basically, that's why it's so important for us to keep our mouth in line with the word of God, whether, no matter what's going on in our life. Jesus saw the real source. The real problem was demonic source. For people to be free, live free, Jesus had to do something about the devil. Also, one thing Jesus did, if you read your Bible, is he loved righteousness, and he, now he didn't hate too many things, but he hated iniquity. In other words, he loved right alignment with God, but he hated anything that separated you from God. The Bible said, two can only walk together unless they be agreed. So you cannot talk anti-God talk and walk with God. It's impossible because he's not going to get in that conversation with you. I told you about blocking some people out. I think God does the same thing sometimes. Oh, God, I'm just so sick, and I don't, I don't know what's the matter with you today. I don't know why you don't heal me. You know, I went to church on Wednesday, and I stayed the whole time. I helped take down the tables and everything else. I just don't understand why you didn't heal me. And God, I don't know, he's listening someplace else. He probably, not, he probably left you after the first two words. See, because it's agreement that does it. It's agreement. I mean, let's face it. You don't want to live with somebody who's in disagreement with you all the time. Honey, let's go to this restaurant. No, no, no. I want to go to that restaurant. Well, I don't want to go there. Well, I don't want to go there. That doesn't do any good. That's why we have divorce. Praise God. But there's agreement there. We want to walk in agreement with the things. So Jesus loved righteousness, hated iniquity. He called all sickness and disease a demonic attack or to be oppressed by the devil. So sickness and disease comes from the devil. The curse comes from the, the all these works come from the devil. All right, go to Colossians chapter 2. All right, Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 13. Here's where it gets good. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he made alive together with him, having forgiven you how many trespasses? All your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, and what did he do with it? Nailed it to the cross. Now, did Jesus blot out sin? Did he cancel sin? Another translation says, he wiped away and forgave all your sin. Now, when did he do that? Oh, at the cross. He did it at the cross. We've heard that preached. Sin was defeated on the cross. Amen. He bare your sin on the cross. Hallelujah. He's forgiven all your sin. Glory to God. All right, look at verse 15. And, say and. How I many know that's connected to verse 14? 
and he also spoiled principalities and powers, and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So he also, at the same time as he took care of your sin, he spoiled principalities and powers. Another translation says he discarded the evil powers. Did you ever play cards? You got that card you don't want, what do you do with it? You throw it away. All right, he discarded evil principalities. He disarmed principalities and powers. Another one says he thoroughly defeated once and for all the demonic power. Now, where and when did he do this? On the cross, same place as sin. Same time he defeated sin was the same time he spoiled the devil. The Bible says he made a show of them openly. Another translation, he put them to shame. Another one, he put their defeat on public display. Another one, thoroughly exposed, shattered, and left them powerless and defeated. Now, did he defeat sin so that you could be saved? He did, didn't he? Well, did he spoil and defeat and disarm the devil so that you could be free from demonic oppression? Yes, he did. When did he do that? At the cross on the same day. We've heard he defeated sin on the cross, but you haven't heard much about the devil being defeated on that day because nobody wants to touch that subject. But basically, demonic oppression was taken care of on the cross. So I'm going to believe he forgives all my sins. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm also going to forgive that he, I'm not going to forget also that he also defeated the devil on that day. So on the cross, Jesus met the adversary. He had ruled and reigned over the human beings for 4,000 years. He defeated him. He stripped him. He conquered him. He broke his dominion over mankind. He cannot keep you from choosing to be saved. It's already been provided. He cannot keep you from choosing health because it's already been provided. But how many know he may lie to you all the time? I mean, I mean, if you get out of the Bible long enough and out of church, he'll come and tell you you're not even saved. Some people come, I've been, I've been, I thought I was saved 20 years ago. Now I don't think I am. Well, when did you get saved? Well, when I felt like it. No, no, back at the cross is when your salvation took place. If you want to get into your feelings, then you're going to be sick one day and healed the next. And sick and healed and sick and healed. How do you feel? Oh, I feel great today. How do you feel? I feel terrible today. Back and forth. That's what feelings and emotions do. They take you on a roller coaster up and down and up and down and up and down. But soon the church basically is going to understand that they can resist sickness and disease just like they're resisting sin because both were taken care of where? At the cross. At the cross. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. At the cross, at the cross. All right, Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 14. For as much then as the children, talking about us, are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is who? And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to what? Bondage. So here's talking about Jesus on the cross again, is it not? So Jesus' death, basically here, he came to destroy him. Who's the him? The it's the devil. And deliver us. Who's the us? Okay, he destroyed the devil to deliver mankind. When did this take place? At the cross. Jesus destroyed. He brought to naught. He rendered him powerless. He broke his power. And another translation says he paralyzed him. What did he do that for? To deliver us, to set us free, to completely set us free of the things that are under the curse of the law. Jesus spent all energy fighting and knocking out the devil and, and, def and defeated him, but now the church wants to seem to continue to fight the devil all the time. The devil has already been knocked out. The devil wants to tell you he's something great. Hollywood movies want to tell you he's something great. Different things want to tell you how big and how bad he is. Most Christians believe in the devil, but few believe in the defeat of the devil. Yes, Christian, you believe in the devil? Yeah, you believe he's defeated? Oh, no. No, he's all over my life all the time, praise God. And what's he working on? What does the devil want to work on? He wants to work on your soul, on your mind, your will and emotions, and your thought life. He doesn't want you to know that he's been defeated. He doesn't want you to know he's been spoiled. He doesn't want you to know that he was defeated on the cross. He wants you to see him big and strong and powerful. Somebody to be afraid of, somebody to avoid. Or you can see the devil defeated, stripped, knocked out, and brought to naught. And how you see the devil is how you will see sickness and disease 
cancers and everything else. You'll either be afraid of them or know that they've already been defeated where? At the cross. Uh, I'm going to keep doing that. Prosperity's soul sees him through the eyes of the word, not the eyes of the world or the eyes of Hollywood. Most of the church takes this knocked out devil. They prop him up through tradition and Old Testament. Then they spend their whole Christian life trying to pull him down out of the heavenlies. But we don't have to do that. He's already been defeated. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We talk about our sickness. We talk about negative things. We talk about fear. Basically, your confessions act as a smelling salt for him as he's laying on the canvas. In other words, you rise him up off of there. He's already been knocked out by Jesus a long time ago. All right, look at verse 14 again. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had. Say had. Now notice, if he had it, that means he doesn't have it now. So he took the power of death. Now what power of death is that? Well, the power of spiritual death, because the works of the devil all have to do with the curse and spiritual death. So if he defeated spiritual death the day that you got born again, you became a brand new creation, old things have, and all things have become new. So that dead spirit on the inside of you, that day was dead, gone, cut away, and now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So at this time, then now we should be producing the fruits of the God nature rather than partaking in the fruits of the old nature. What are the fruits of the old nature? Worry, fear, sickness, curse, poverty, all these things. We are now not like that anymore. He's already defeated death in our life. So basically we should be partaking of the other. And how do we do that? We do it by our confession and by claiming the rights that we have as kingdom of God citizens. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the devil's been defeated. How many of the devil's been defeated? Everybody I talk to, oh, the devil's been chasing me around. Oh, he's after me again today. That's not going to help you. Do you understand? It's just a cliche that's been in the church for years, and everybody's supposed to feel sorry for you because the devil's chasing you around. If you just turn around and chase him, you wouldn't be able to talk like that anymore. You see? Oh, he, no, he's chasing me more than he's chasing you. It becomes a war, doesn't it? Oh, no, sir. He was after me all. You know what he did. You Let me tell you what he did to me. You're just glorifying the devil, basically, who's already been defeated. Why don't we talk about what Jesus did rather than what the devil's trying to do. Right. See, have you been under attack this week? Don't make any difference because Jesus smashed him at the cross, praise God, beat him, just beat him to a pulp. Hallelujah, glory to God. So good to be living in victory. Why don't we talk that way? Because we weren't conditioned to talk that way. We were conditioned to talk the other way. All right, go to 1 John chapter 3. The more you get in the Word and the more that you read the Word and understand the Word, the more some people say, well, I can't tell. You know, I hear voices. I don't know if they're devil or they're God. Well, if they're in line with the Word, they're God. If they're anti-Word, then they're the devil. It's pretty easy to figure out. And the more Word. But now if you don't know the Word, you won't know, will you? You just hear something and say, well, I wonder if that's God or the devil. So they've got to go to find somebody who's read the Word, and they can at least tell you that way. And that's all right, but it shouldn't be that way forever. We should spend enough time in the Word where we know where it's coming from and what it's in line with. All right, 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 8. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the, the works. Now notice, not just the devil, but the works of the devil. So Jesus came not only to destroy the devil, he came to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Sickness and disease, he came to destroy that. Demonic oppression, he came to destroy that. The curse, he came to destroy that. Sin, he came to destroy that. How many of you know that he did it? And this is going to be tough for you. Where did he do it? At the cross, praise God. All right, look, go to Luke chapter 10. Some of you are going to wake up in the middle of the night and go, At the cross! Oh, I don't know what I was thinking about there, but something came up. I don't know what it was. The timeline's important because when sickness hits you, if you remember it was done way back there, it's a lot easier fight than waiting till you feel better to think that you got healed. See? It takes the feelings out of it. All right, Luke chapter 10, look at verse 18. Here Jesus is prophesying. 
He sees something coming in the future. He gets all excited about it, probably spun around three or four times, started clapping his hands, jumping up and down. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. How many know that happened? Yeah. And Jesus died. He went up to heaven. Satan got kicked out. and Satan can't get back up there anymore. Praise God. Yeah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He says, so look, verse 19, look, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, how many know that goes along with the prophecy he was saying? Does it not? Look, look what happened. I seen kicked out of heaven. What's that? I'm going to do it after I get out of the cross, and I'm raised from them. I'm going to throw his buns out of there. And then he goes on to say, behold, look, you guys, because then I'm going to give you power to do what? Fight the devil, battle the devil. No, what? Trample on, tread on, walk on. He said, when this happens, you're going to walk on the devil. You're going to trample upon the devil. You're going to take care of the devil. And notice, nothing by any means shall ever hurt you. Now, I know that's a good promise there, isn't it? So here's what he said is going to happen. You're going to tread on the devil. Why? Because I knocked him out. He's on the floor. He's got no more power. How many know if you're going to tread on him, he has to be laying down? You're not going to walk up his back and stand on his head. So apparently he's already laying on the ground for you to walk by and do what? Tread on him. So that's where you need to see him. Where is he? Right down there. There he lays. There he all beat up. Can't do anything. That's where the devil is. Have you seen the devil? Yeah. Yeah, I just saw him a little while ago. He's laying right down here. He's got a bunch of bruises and Band-Aids on and everything else. Praise God. Yeah, he's taken care of there. See, so Jesus said, man, I see it coming. We're, we're going to do it. Say, Satan's defeat, Satan's defeat is complete. Is complete. Hallelujah. Okay, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Where at? At the cross. <laughs> All right, Ephesians chapter one. Now this is the Apostle Paul. How I many you know he had a few revelations? So verse 16, he tells the church, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding are being lightened. How many know that's got to do with your soul? That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of the inheritance is in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe? It's according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in what? The world which is to come. And now notice this. He has put all things under his what? Under his what? And gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all. All right, here he says he's put all things under his feet. And if his body is the church, then the devil has to be under the church's feet also, which is Jesus' feet. That's why Jesus saw in the future, he said, you're going to trample on serpents and scorpions. Why? Because the devil's going to be knocked down. He says, and what does he need to do? The spirit needs to bring this revelation to you. He's praying for this, this revelation to get. First of all, the power of God is for you. It's not against you. God's not keeping it for you. It belongs to you. The day you got born again, Christ moved on the inside of you. So you have the power, but you also have the authority, basically, to walk on serpents and scorpions and keep the devil in his place, which is underneath their feet. And this tells me one thing, too, the way, of, way I read all these scriptures, that basically Satan's defeat was not a close game. You understand? This battle wasn't a right down, it wasn't a nail biter right down at the end Jesus took him. It wasn't something, he was mercy ruled, do you understand? He was defeated terribly. He got shut out. It wasn't four Jesus, three devil. It was 20 Jesus, zip devil. It was a defeat. Hallelujah. The game was over when he got up and Satan had been defeated. So your authority and power, now notice where it's at. It is a little bit above. Just sort of above. It is far 
above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named. So you have authority over the devil. Why? Because he's laying on the mat and Jesus took care of him once and for all. You can raise him up as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You can be petrified of the devil if you want to, even though he's a defeated foe. Just watch a couple movies, talk to a couple deadheads who don't know anything, and pretty soon you'll think the devil's this big thing. But according to the Bible, Amen. he was taken care of at the cross. Hallelujah. All right, go to, let's go to Romans 16. Sometimes I just got to wonder, you know, when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, did he do it just to get the dust of the devil off of them when they were walking over him? I mean, there had to be a reason. Everybody said, well, he's humble and all that stuff. But maybe, hey, he said he'd been walking on the devil. Their feet in the bottom's getting a little dirty. I better wash it off and get all that stuff out of there. Maybe. Who knows? All right. Romans chapter 16. Are you there? Look at verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise, destroy Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Notice, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under where? Under your feet shortly. Now, we already know that Satan's been taken care of. We already know that he's on the ground. So why, why, what's all deal with all this feet stuff? Trample upon serpents, scorpions, and your feet of the church is going to walk on him, and you're going to crush him under your feet. What, why, why does he put all that stuff in there? Why is he talking about the feet so much? Does he just want to know that he's down there, basically, and he's on the ground, he's defeated? What's the purpose of that? Go to Psalm 110. Don't look at me with that dumbfounded looks. All right, Psalm 110, are you there? Look at verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. Now, who's speaking here? Who's speaking? The Lord. Who's he speaking to? The Lord. The Lord's speaking to the Lord here. So he says to the Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies thy what? Footstool. So he says, hey. You did everything you could. Praise God, you defeated the devil. You've given everybody a new life. All i got to do is get born again and walk on top of the devil, and everything's looking good. Now just sit down here until this people that we've got down there make sure and keep him as a footstool so that you can come back and take care of everything. But those people down there, they've got to walk on him. They've got to keep him. They've got to make him the footstool, show he's the footstool down there so that you can come back once again for the second coming. All right, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Everybody waiting for Jesus to do something, and the whole time Jesus is waiting on the church. Never says Jesus is going to come back and make him his footstool. He says the church is going to make it Jesus' footstool. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 13. I'll go back to verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, who was that? Jesus. We know that the high priest went in and offered year after year after year. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So why is he talking about the feet so much? Because he's talking about the church getting a revelation for, from the Holy Spirit and so that it can walk on the enemy all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when that group of people rises up and starts walking in the power and the anointing of God, then Jesus is going to get up and he's going to come back again. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, go to First Peter chapter 5. So your feet are important. And one of the main, the main purposes of the Holy Spirit anyway in our lives, I mean, he leads this guy to send all truth, but in Corinthians, it says that basically he will show you those things that have been freely given to you. 
And many times we're going through the Holy Ghost to try to get something from God, not understanding that he's trying to show us things that have been freely given to us. The defeat of the devil is not something you earn. It's not something you grow into. It's something that was already done and has been freely given to you. The power has been given to you. The anointing has been given to you. So what's the Holy Ghost doing? He's coming around trying to convince you that you're anointed and you have power. Once again, what you think will make a difference in your life. If you think you're unanointed, how many know you're going to live unanointed? If you think you're anointed, then you're going to start using the anointing of God. If you think you have authority, you're going to start using authority. If you don't think you have authority, you're never going to use authority. If you think you have peace and you like peace better than strife, you're going to start protecting the peace that you've got in your life. And you can do that, praise God. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 8. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your friend, the adversary, the devil, because your teacher, the devil. No, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may what? All right, now here it's talking about the devil, isn't it? And people say, well, that scripture proves right there that he's really something. No, it ain't. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a. Say, as a. Now, as a doesn't mean he is. As a means he's trying to convince you that he is. As a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What does it tell you to do? Look at verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Okay, here it tells you what to do about the devil. What do you do? You resist him. Steadfast. Now, why steadfast? Because you're going to be tempted not to resist him in situations where you come under attacks in your life. But it says resist him steadfast in the faith. And notice, don't think that you're the only one that the demons are picking on. Well, you can't be bothered this week. All the demons are in my house chasing me around. Well, no, no. Everybody goes under the same temptations. Everybody goes under the same attacks. Everybody goes under the same thing. You're not some privileged person. It's not because you're so anointed that they just got time to come after you and nobody else. No, the same thing comes after each and every one of us, praise God. But we have the problem. I mean, we have the possibility to cast down thoughts and imaginations that try to exalt themselves against the word of God. So we know for sure that we have the victory. So all brethren come under attack basically, but one thing you don't want to do, and I found some people do, is you don't want to prophesy attacks into your own life. I have been devil, oh, the devil's been after me, and he just continues to be after me, because I got such a good anointing, he's just going to be on me all the time. Well, you're just opening the door for him to come in and do whatever he wants, basically, and you're, you're helping him and agreeing with him. Oh, I've just been so worried lately. Oh, worried, 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 the devil's just been all over me. Well, how many know that's not going to help you, because the Bible tells you, let not your heart be says, worry about nothing. So what are you doing? You're just not obeying the word. You're disagreeing the word of God. Look what it says in the scripture before that. Look at verse 6. Everybody wants to talk about humility. All right, let's talk about it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Well, how am I going to do that? Casting all my care upon him, because he cares for me. You mean if I'm worrying, I'm in pride? You can answer. Yeah. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about that. They want to talk about being humble. Well, there's humility there, but there it talks about humility right there, too. If you're worrying, it means you're trying to figure out and do the situation on your own, and you're trying to figure out how to do it. You're not trusting your father and trusting what he's supposed to do and staying on the word of God. So basically here it talks about worry as far as humility goes. All right, we got time. Let's just go to Isaiah 14. You need to get up every morning and say, My days of worry and fear are over forever. It's your first words of the morning. Mine, over forever. I've had my last bad day. No more bad days for me. Pennies was making that shirt for a while. I wish they quit making it. It was a shirt that said, no more bad days on the front. Had a little design on it. I should have bought a hundred of them at the time. I only bought one. Now it's got so many holes in. You can't. It looks like I'm having a bad day when I wear it. <laughs> I think it was the company, no more bad days. All right, Isaiah chapter 14. This is talking about Satan. This is talking about the battle in heaven when Jesus threw him out of heaven. Chapter 14, look at verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of morning? How art thou that cut, were cut down to the ground and didst weaken the nations? 
For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will set upon my mount in the congregation in the sides. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Do you get a picture here of what he was doing? I will be like the Most High. And basically it says, you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now look at verse 12 again. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken what? Weakened what? Weakened the nations. How many know that's everybody? Weakened all the nations, all the countries, all the governments, everything that's there. He's weakened those things. But notice it says he's going to be brought down to the sides of the pit. Look at verse 16. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? How many know this is the word of God? There's going to come a day when everybody's going to see him, who he really is, and they're going to say, this is the one that destroyed the government over there. This is the one that took down the government of the United States. This is the one that took down the government of China. This, is the, this, this thing right here is what took down everybody. But how does he do it? He deceives the nations. He's a deceiver. So he deceives. Every government there ever was from the Roman Empire on down basically destroyed themselves through deception. One time they were, they were the ones that were going to last forever. They were never going to be taken down. And how many know they all went down? And then all these other ones come up, and now the United States of America is never going to go down. It's always going to be good. Take a look around. And notice, they're never destroyed from the outside. They're always destroyed from within, each and every one. The Roman Empire went to a place to where they started having a bunch of people on their board who were homosexuals and people who were uh, sin and all that kind of sexual sin stuff and got on their board, and pretty soon they started passing laws and pretty, thing, and pretty soon the whole thing fell down. And nobody ever thought the Roman Empire was going to go down, but how many of you know it did? And the United States was the same nation. Here we are, one nation under God. And how it's changed, you know, in the last for 30, 40 years. What is it being destroyed by? It's not being destroyed by Russia. It's not being destroyed by uh, Iran. It's being destroyed from within, on the inside, because he's a deceiver. So one day we're all going to get to the place where we just look at him and we're going to say, I can't believe he took down all these governments. This stupid thing here took down all these governments just by deception, by lying to them, and by telling them things that weren't really there. So what's he doing? He's going around as a roaring lion. Rawr, rawr. And anybody will listen to him will listen to him, and things will change, and people's minds will be affected, and everything will go, go in the wrong direction. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that some people's minds can get as messed up as I'm seeing people's minds right now. And how I many know it's got all to do with what they believe? all to do with what they've put in here, what, the, what they've seen and what's going on. And you can't really get mad at them because they really believe. You understand? They're just not faking it. They're just not trying to be different. They just really believe what they believe. And, and as a man thinks in his heart, so there they are. People said, I don't know what's wrong with these people. I can tell you exactly what's wrong with these people. So someone has to get in there and change the way they're thinking by breaking that stuff off of their lives, basically, and get the Word of God over to them through teaching so that they change their thought life and thought patterns. You've heard of people who've done this. They were so far into the occult and everything else, but they've come out. How? Just a change of the soul. You will prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's it. That's all I've got.